An investor's investor. Weird. Always thinking. Smart. Thoughtful. Unconventional. Hi, I'm John Lukumnik. Welcome to Outside In, the interdisciplinary podcast for financial professionals and anyone else who values different thinking. What does that mean? Well, we interview fascinating people from Shakespeare scholars to financial data scientists to see what the financial community can learn from non-traditional sources and from traditional sources thinking in non-traditional ways. We're breaking down the silos which too often surround the financial community. Come, listen to the sounds of those walls collapsing. Today on Outside In, it's our pleasure to welcome Barb Van, inaugural president and CEO of the University Pension Plan, or UPP, based in Toronto. That word inaugural is important here. Barb was appointed in July 2020 in the midst of the COVID pandemic to bring to life a plan on paper, which would combine a number of independent pension plans at three Canadian universities into one new mega-defined benefit plan. She had no staff, no chief investment officer or chief financial officer or administrative staff. She had no IT, no systems. This was a high stakes entrepreneurial endeavor with $11 billion and the savings and retirement security of 35,000 workers on the line. Oh, and a deadline of one year to make it work. Early indications of success are good. Indeed, a fourth university has now joined within six months of operations starting. There's a reason Barb is among the most respected institutional investors in the world. She's also a leader in the sustainable and responsible investment field. In her former role as chief risk and strategy officer for Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, she crafted its responsible investing in climate risk management strategy and directed its enterprise and operational risk management approach. She's a member of the government of Canada's expert panel on sustainable finance and serves on the board of the Responsible Investment Association and the advisory board of the Institute for Sustainable Finance. A trained actuary with a master's degree in mathematics, Barb has chaired both the International Center of Pension Management and the Sustainability Accounting Standard Board's Investor Advisory Group. She's a former board member of the Canadian Coalition for Good Governance, a Chilean water utility, and real estate firm Cadillac Fairview. Finally, a necessary disclosure. I recently consulted to UPP helping the board and staff think through some overarching investment beliefs. So I may be biased, but I also got a close-up look at Barb and how she interacts with senior staff and the board, which only increased my respect and led to the invitation to be on Outside In. So with that appropriately disclosed, welcome, Barb. Thank you, John, for having me here. So let me ask you a really basic question. What's your origin story? Interesting people often have had interesting lives. How'd you wind up where you are? That's an interesting first question. Um, it's kind of like the nature versus nurture question, but uh, maybe a combo of influences. So maybe I'll start with the the value of hard work, including education. You know, my parents moved to Canada in the mid '60s, really hoping for more opportunity, and really watching them trying to seize that opportunity. You saw them work hard, long hours. So really, from that, you saw the value of that hard work, and that also included education. So they really encouraged me to pursue university, undergraduate, graduate studies, you know, professional designations, and to continue to learn. 
So that's you know a really important base. Um, at Ontario Teachers, I had some great role models. So if I think of some of the the role models there, you know they really demonstrated when you reflect on that experience that as a leader, you have a responsibility to make your environment that you're in better. So just a few examples, you know, um, you mentioned the Canadian Coalition for Good Governance. Claude Lamoureux, the first CEO, really helped start that organization. And that really, you know, changed the way that we talked about governance in Canada and what was expected as best practice. The first CIO, Bob Bertram, helped create one of the uh, pension associations called Pension Investment Association of Canada on the thought process like, hey, we're a large fund. We have lots of resources. We should share our knowledge with the broader pension sector. And then I remember Jim Leach, you know, we're just talking about diversity. And one day he comes in the office smiling and I'm like, okay. And he was on media and said, I believe there should be three women on boards. And that really helped kick off that conversation in Canada about needing, you know, 30% women on boards. So really great role models. And I think last is you turn yourself around and then you have to be the role model. Right? And you have to be the parent of three kids. And what values do you want to teach your kids? And so I think there's the confluence of all three of those that contributed to who I am. Not sure about the nature part, but I'm not sure I can answer that. So you had this tremendous, almost 25-year career at Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, which is, for the reasons you mentioned, one of the most respected asset owners in the world, with sub $240 billion in assets. And I assume you were enjoying the role and I assume you could have stayed as long as you want. And then you get recruited to start a new defined benefit pension plan. I could just imagine how that call went. Hello, Ms. Van, I'm a recruiter. I'm calling to ask you if you'd like to be responsible for 35,000 people and $12 billion, but there's a catch. You have no staff or infrastructure in place. The people work at universities, so they have strong opinions. Um, you have a year to put this together. We're in the middle of COVID. What do you say? Do you remember how you thought about that decision and what emotions you had before you decided to say yes? Yeah, so it probably uh, turned out a little bit different. I had already decided that I was leaving teachers. I had 25 years there, 25 great years there, and I needed a change. And so this is February 2020. March 2020, COVID hit. <laughs> And then it wasn't a recruiter, it was the chair. Okay. She said, we really need help. <laughs> and I just said, okay, I'm locked up at home. I know what you need to get done. And I just started volunteering, John. And at some point they said, you know, would you like to be our CEO <laughs> or like to be considered our CEO? And, you know, I was really energized with that suggestion. Um, you know, everyone thinks of teachers really like it is today. So this sophisticated program, lots of private assets, derivatives, all sorts of things, great risk management, um, I would say so. <laughs> and but and I started when I joined, it was just a few years after it privatized. Uh, it too was a combination of a startup and a transformation, just like UPP. So to give you a sense um, of its origin, you know, it started with about $20 billion of assets it was in 100% non-marketable, you cannot sell Ontario bonds. That is what it started with. And really we had to take it from there. And just so you know, those bonds did, last one matured, 2012. So, you know, many people say, I'll just use derivatives, but back then it wasn't that big of a market. 
And then how do you manage the liquidity of a completely non-marketable bond portfolio? And the answer is very carefully. And so, you know, we were really encouraged to be innovative while considering the risks, think of the cost benefit. And, you know, and I really enjoyed that journey of, you know, making a contribution to what teachers is today. You know, UPP is starting from a different origin, but again, a really unique opportunity to apply all that I've learned uh, to build something meaningful for the sector, you know, bring the plan's vision to life. And I have total respect for the enormity of the task ahead. I know the work effort that's involved, but you know, the ability to innovate again from that origin is, I would say, simply energizing. So where did you start? How do you prioritize when the chair called? I mean, you had a virtually innumerable task list needed to get UPP from an idea to an institution. Where do you start and how do you prioritize? People, right? You're not going to get this effort done without people, but we needed it the right people on board for this stage. So we needed builders who really thrive with a blank sheet of paper. They needed to have deep expertise in their areas. They had to be keen to create and have impact and we needed no egos. You know, building a DB plan from the ground up is not for the faint of heart. Building a DB plan uh, from the ground up virtually on Zoom, we really only got an office recently, is really not for the faint of heart. We needed a close-knit team who would really roll up their sleeves, support one another. And, you know, those attributes are so critical in normal times, but even so much more important during the virtual environment. You know, the other thing is, you know, we had to stay really clear on our goals. You know, what is our first goal? It was, which is really was that issue-free day one. You mentioned July 1st, 2021. We had one year to take on the responsibility. And so that involved creativity. And then we turned our attention to building uh, the plan to its potential. So we often in many of our meetings was, okay, this week, what's our top three focuses? You know, what are you doing? Uh, what am I doing? What do we need to get done? And really staying on, on task for that first issue free day one. I want to remind everyone, as you say, this was virtual. It was in the midst of COVID pandemic. You had no office and you were hiring senior people and junior people by Zoom. And you've mentioned creativity, builders, no ego, close knit. So clearly culture is very important to you. How do you judge culture and whether people are a fit in that sort of virtual time pressured situation? Yeah. So one is just getting to know them and you, you do the best you can. So that is on zoom. You have a few people meet them. You know, Canada is somewhat a small-knit community, so you do reference checking, you talk about the experiences, and we were really looking, especially for those early hires, people who built, who did startups or built part of a startup of a larger organization. And so, you know, that's really how we did it. And, you know, we're really fortunate that, you know, once you attract a few great people, they attract more great people. Um, you know, they tell two close friends, that sort of thing. And from there we built what I think is a pretty spectacular culture right now. One of the first hires you made, even before hiring a chief investment officer, was a head of responsible investing. Why is responsible investing so important to you? Well, everything we do is really about funding a secure pension for members in the future. That's first and foremost. So truly for us, you know, we don't distinguish between responsible investing and investing. It's just investing. So it's not defining, you know, what 
investments are in one bucket, responsible in the ones that aren't. So it, but it is about embedding environmental, social, governance considerations into every action we take with the goal of really improving our long-term outcomes. Yeah. So when I look at this leadership team, we know from our own experiences, um, collaborated by research that's quite clear now that sound ESG integration really delivers better financial performance and better risk management. So if you're not looking at these factors or these elements in your decision-making, you're overlooking material risks and opportunities and frankly, shortchanging your performance. So the priority needed to be elevated from the beginning, and that was just making it part of our DNA. The other thing we knew was it was really important to our members. I have universities um, as my members, so the university stake members, so faculty, people who work at the university. So we really wanted to go out and speak to them. And this role, having this role in place actually allowed us to do that. And you know, we hosted listening sessions, town halls, already did surveys, you know, to really understand what their expectations were of us and their views. And I would say there's a lot of alignment. So, you know, we needed to deliver on the, these expectations and our own expectations. So we filled the role first. You mentioned ESG integration. And in fact, that's the phrase you used in a 2018 charted financial analyst white paper. And that is how environmental, social, and governance issues affect your investments. And you, I think, correctly pointed out that they create risk and opportunity. However, today, I think UPP seems to be further on that journey. Um, it seems to be taking a more holistic view by also considering the feedback loops between the capital markets and the real world environmental, social, and financial systems. Um, in other words, also what in the um, EU, they would call double materiality or how your investments affect the world. And even a step further than that, which is the feedback loops over time. So how did UPP come to think about that type of systems level, sustainable investing approach? Yeah. So with UPP as discussed, you know, we're building from the ground up, which means we're fully flexible on how we shape and how we were intentional for our day one. So, you know, if you make analogy, we didn't have to retrofit anything. We didn't have to reverse engineer into existing decision-making approaches or processes. And that might seem counterintuitive, but it's a really strong relative foundation to start from. So together with the team um, that had a ton of experience in this space, we benefit from that. And we have aligned our view that if society or the economy doesn't function as it should, it makes it very difficult for us to do our job. You, you talked about uh, earlier on on the investment beliefs. So, you know, really, truly as a long-term investor, in one of our investment beliefs, we have said that UPP has a responsibility to promote the health of the capital markets and the financial, environmental, and social systems on which the capital markets rely. So a really good example is, you know, we know we, we need to get to net zero economy. It's a necessary endpoint. It's real tangible change that we have to achieve. And we need to invest in that transition in all parts of the economy. So two things when I think about how UPP is approaching it is we know we won't contribute to that transition or solve the root cause by you know, passing on problem assets to someone else. You know, we really do believe we need to remove the emissions from our investments. And that means staying at the table to hold com companies accountable for that change and support the transformation. 
and also realistic about the size of UPP. So we need to be doing this in a collaborative way. You know, partnerships are essential. And so we are also really trying to surround ourselves by like-minded partners to amplify your impact. You're one of the few institutional investor CEOs I know who's trained as an actuary. How does that affect your worldview? So after getting through all those exams, I didn't exactly do actuarial science, but I think a couple of things I did take away is, you know, there's always two sides to a balance sheet, right? There's an assets and liabilities, and those assets are there to support those liabilities, right? They need to be managed in that context. And so you're really managing the surplus or deficit or the funding position. So there's a purpose to those assets to meet that pension promise or provide the retirement security. That's front and center. And then as an actuary math person, there's a probabilities in every equation you do, <laughs> every equation that you're taught. So you naturally start thinking in the range of scenarios, likelihoods, risk, tail events. And maybe that was the natural progression to risk management from the actuarial um, starting point. This is a weird question, but do you think having that actuarial and probabilistic background also helps with culture and with respect for other opinions? Well, that's a tough question, but um, I think, you know, one thing you've learned as an actuary is, you know, because of those range of events, you need to do, you need different expertise at the table. No one's going to be an expert in everything. No one's going to be able to tell you with certainty anything. You really need to hear the different voices. And so I always surrounded myself with people with the different specialties and, and really trying to figure out how do you pull that from people so they they bring their best selves to work every day and feel free that they can contribute. And that's really the thought process around culture. Not every place has this uh, diversity. And you recently said that women who are senior in the financial markets often have an aha moment when they look around the table and realize they're either the only or one of the few females in the room. When was your aha moment? Yeah, maybe it was a long aha moment. So if you think about the progression, you know, early in your career, you're internally focused on your team. You know, I was quite accustomed to being the lone female coming from a math background. And then you progress through your career. So the, maybe the first point was when I moved to the executive leadership team. And you start seeing the whole organization and the real differences across the organization on diversity. And then you became more involved in t externally and you're like, oh, okay, the same pattern. And then you start getting involved in governance. Oh, same pattern again. And you start speaking to other female leaders and sharing stories. So that was the, maybe the long aha moment. And then it really crystallizes when, you know, you realize you have to be part of the change. Why will this change unless you're a part of it? And that's really why, you, you know, our second focus area from when we started uh, a year ago has been on equity, diversity, inclusion, and reconciliation. And so we're trying to build that platform as well. Have you faced gender-based discrimination in your career? Maybe I haven't noticed it. <laughs> I just kind of keep going. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've been really fortunate with some of the great first leaders of Ontario teachers who, you know, I think I was one of the youngest VPs in my role. Um, I think I was promoted to head of department and I had to tell my boss at the time I was about to have twins. And he kept the role open for me. Um, so I feel very privileged to have come from, from that culture as well. What's exciting you right now? What are you passionate about? Yeah, so maybe I'll talk about a little bit outside of, of UPP. I'm really excited about the work on uh, sustainable finance. Um, 
my recent focus is within Canada in part because of COVID, you can't, it was hard to travel. Uh, a few years ago, you mentioned I was part of the Government of Canada's expert panel on sustainable finance. There was just four of us. Uh, the chair is now uh, the Governor of the Bank of Canada, Tiff Macklin. So it was quite a substantial report to contribute to. And, you know, not surprisingly at the time, we basically said the role of the financial markets in driving change had yet to be fully leveraged. So we came up with 15 recommendations to really accelerate sustainable finance and just to make it simply finance, right? And look, I'm, I know finance is not going to solve climate change, but it has a critical role to play in supporting the real economy through the transition. So now we fast forward to today, and I'm seeing really many of those recommendations being implemented from really a broad group of colleagues across the financial sector, and that would be in banking, insurance, and pensions. So two particulars, you know, the Sustainable Finance Action Council, I think it's quite unique in Canada. We have 25 of the largest FIs um, coming together to create better solutions and supporting the government in areas like data, disclosure, taxonomy, and capital planning. And then the other one is um, Climate Engagement Canada. So it's something I've been working on for a while. And it's really the Canadian version of Climate Action 100 Plus. And for those who don't know uh, that initiative, it's an investor-led engagement initiative to ensure large emitters um, take the necessary action to, to deal with climate change and to lower their emissions. And so really this one is focused on the Canadian companies, which we have a lot of transitioning to do in Canada, led by Canadian investors. And you know, anyone listening who might be interested, there's climateengagement.ca, and we also have supporting roles for the international investor to have a strong voice. So really excited about some of those and seeing those recommendations come to life and seeing the impact. And I feel really privileged to being able to contribute to the solutions. Let's finish with some short questions and answers. How do you relax? Anything usually outdoors after spending all day in the office. It usually involves something active, whether it's walking, hiking, uh, in the winter, snowshoeing, skiing, anything, bike paddle. Um, I usually love it when one of the three kids come with us, my husband and I, but I usually can count on the dog. What type of dog do you have? It is a cavapoo, so a mix of a poodle and a cavalier. So she's 18 pounds of cuteness, but she thinks she's a guard dog. What music do you listen to? Anything my kids are listening to, <laughs> really. <laughs> are you reading something right now? Um, so I'm reading everything about taxonomies because if you're in sustainable finance, what you know is there's so much material that came, comes out every week. There's a new paper. And so with all those regions producing taxonomies and groups like OECD, the Network for Greening of the Financial System, it's hard to keep up. But they did read your book just before you actually worked for UPP. So I would recommend moving beyond modern portfolio theory. Thank you for the unsolicited plug. Do you read anything for fun? Cooking magazines are probably where in cookbooks, <laughs> just to look at what, what we can possibly do when we're not rushing for dinner. If you could be on vacation right now, where would it be? That's a tough one because I've been really fortunate to travel a lot myself and then with my family as well. So it's more the type of vacation than where. So the best family vacations are kind of this balance of being outdoors. So, you know, hiking wherever it could be, skiing paddling, having some downtime where everyone can just chill in the afternoon and then having a leisurely dinner. So that's usually the type of vacation and location matters less. You've been pumping up Canada pretty good. You don't want to like 
say the Okanagan Valley or something. I mean, <laughs> well, there's great parts of Canada. Um, there's really a lot of diversity. So I think one of the trips that we did just before COVID was to Tofino on Vancouver Island, a great place to do lots of outdoor things. Last question. If you could magically talk into everyone in the world's ear, what would you tell them? So maybe two different things, depending on the person. So if you're in the financial community, I would say like seize the opportunity presented by the net zero transition, right? Get on board, get the money where it needs to go. You know, it's all part of what we all need to do to make our environment better. And then often I get asked to talk to a different group of women who are struggling or early in their career. And I get lots of questions on work-life balance. Um, I would say, you know, really, uh, it's okay. <laughs> you don't have to be there all the time. But, you know, the focus is really just be present in those moments that matter. Thanks so much. Um, I think our guests have heard this really nice combination of practicality and visionary um, interest from Barb, and it's why she's been able to put this together. Thanks so much, Barb. Thanks for having me, John. It was a real pleasure. You've been listening to Spark Network's Outside In with John Lukonik, the interdisciplinary podcast for financial professionals. Outside In is produced by Connor Ohigasa, John Lukonik, executive producer. It is available from Apple, Spotify, Google, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to subscribe, leave us a review, follow us on social media. Thanks much for listening.